I need uh, a little volunteer here today, Family Worship Sunday. So uh, Samuel or Silas, when you guys want to help me? Which one? Or both, if, if, if they both want to come up here. Come on, come and help me real quick. I didn't warn their parents about this, so... Sorry, they're going to tell all your secrets, Gravelies. All right, so that's what we're going to have them do. Okay, so have you guys ever played charades? Do you know what that is? No. Charades is where I tell you to act like something, and then you do that, okay? And so let's, let's try an easy one. Like if I said fish, all right, pretend to be a fish. See if you can get people to guess you're a fish. All right, that's pretty good, right? All right? All right, so let me give you another one. I won't tell everybody, and then you, see if they can guess you. <laughs> you got another chance? Can you think of something else to give them? How about what do they drink? Do you know? Like how? Okay, pretend like they're. What is that? Can you do that? Well, that's a little. Well, maybe a little tougher. All right. So that one's a baby. All right. So a baby. All right. Let's, let's give you one more. Okay. All right, so that one, you guys, I'm putting you on the spot here. This is, this is pretty hard on the spot, right? That was a boat, okay, a boat. That's, that's a hard one. That's a little tougher. All right, so I'm going to tell everybody this one, but I want you to think about this one for a second, all right? I want you to pretend you're a Christian. A Christian. Make everybody convince them you're a Christian. You got anything? You got anything? Okay. All right, well, thank you guys. Give them a hand. Sorry, I, I know I kind of really put them on the spot there. Those were hard, right? Those were tough. The, the reason I ask that is because what, what do you put in the blank? How do, you, how do you act like a Christian? What do you do to express being a Christian? A lot of people would put, think about what you would do. If I put you on the spot and you say, I said a Christian, what would you do? You know, some would pray. Some of you maybe have a Bible open or whatever. But what if you really wanted to define like the key of, this is the essence of what, a Christian is and what a Christian is about. What would be the gesture? What would be the expression? Well, I want to say that I believe Scripture teaches it is ultimately, even though it is a lot of other things, it is ultimately one thing, and this, that is this. It's worship. It is worship. Being a Christian is about worshiping. I read this in my New Morning Mercies devotion I read each morning by Paul Tripp. He said, Fish were designed to swim the sun to shine, and you to worship God. Fish were designed to swim, the sun to shine, and you, as a Christian, you were made to worship God. Some verses that talk about that, although it's all throughout Scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. They didn't honor Him as God. They didn't show gratitude to God. Isaiah 43, 21. The people who my eye have formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So God has given us the greatest purpose imaginable, which is to bring glory to Him, to magnify Him, to lift Him up. And what does that, what does that practically look like in your day-to-day -day flow of life? Think about your average day, Monday through Friday. What does it look like? You get up, you probably hurry because you're late and you're getting ready. You're quickly brushing your teeth, grab some breakfast, hit the road, get to work, work all day. You're exhausted. You come home. You can't wait to get home. You're thinking about it all day. I just can't wait to get home into my bed. You get home, crash, watch a few hours of TV, go to bed at night, and that's your day. And you get up and maybe do that again and again and again and again five times each week. How do you worship God in those mundane things that we do? Well, I love the verse Isaiah 26, 8. And if you're familiar with the Passion Movement, which so many people my age and slightly uh, younger than me, through, I mean, younger than me down to even still today, have been a part or have been to Passion, which is this movement of college students, which I took students to way back in the year 2000 uh, when I was uh, just in my late 20s. And so it's been around for a while. But this is kind of their key verse. And this was their whole mantra. And in fact, this last year, John Piper started out the conference talking about this. He, here's the verse. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait eagerly for you, for your name and your renown are the desires of our souls. 
Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth. We wait eagerly for you, for your name and your renown. That's your glory, God's glory that will never fade away. His name and his renown, that's the desire of our souls. That's what we're about. That's why we're here. And so what does that practically look like? It means desiring God above everything else in life. It means elevating God in our everyday life. It means delighting in Him above everything else. And it means incorporating Him into everything that we do. So think about that for a second. It's elevating Him. So as you go to your work, as you go and your home life, your family, you sit down at the table hopefully a few times a week, as you spend time with your friends, as you do vacations, all of that should be centered around elevating God, delighting in God, and pointing to God, and incorporating Him in every one of those things that we do. That's what God has called us to do, to worship Him, not just at a specific time on a specific day, but to worship Him with our lives. And so as we've gone through Psalms this summer, I'm going to return back to Psalm chapter 40, because in this psalm, is, I only made it through three verses last week, and we're going to go back and actually start from the beginning again and go back through it, because it was really evident to me that I saw some things that were really definitive about worship in this passage of Scripture. And in fact, I've kind of taken it from the negative slant and said the false beliefs that worship, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the, why Christians can't aren't living a life of worship? Why aren't Christians living a life of worship? Why am I not living a life of worship? Why are you not living a life of worship? And so let's look at these five things from the passage after we pray. Let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the great opportunity we, we had this morning just to lift up your name and to worship you during our singing time together, God. Thank you for uh, just the blessing of talent that you've given our worship team and their hearts to point us to Jesus Christ, God. But I pray that our worship will not end there, but our worship will continue this morning through the Word, through communion, and then on through our week in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first reason I think that Christians aren't worshiping God and aren't living that way is the false belief that worship can only happen when things are going good. The false belief that worship only happens when we're up here, when things are great, when things are really, really feeling good around us. But look what David says when he, when he starts at this passage. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And so we talked about this last week a lot, but David was down in this very dark place in this very dark time. Things were really, really discouraging. He was struggling with doubt and anxiety and uncertainty in life. But even during that time, we see worship happening here. And as I just read and listened and played this passage again and again over the last weeks, it just struck me that David's heart is what our heart should be during our times that things aren't going right. What does David do? He, he waits upon the Lord. He waits upon the Lord. Now, a couple of things significant with that. Nobody likes to wait, do they? All right. What do you, when you think about waiting, what do you think about? You think about going to the dentist's office or the doctor's office, and you go in there, and you tell them you're there, and, and I'm here for my 2 o'clock appointment. It's right at 2 o'clock. You're excited that you made it on time. And they say, I'll have a seat. We'll get to you in just a minute. You go and sit down, and it begins to tick. The time ticks away, right? And it's pretty soon it's 10 minutes in. So you get up, and you grab the magazines. And for those of us guys, you know, I'm not sure why in the dentist's office there's never like ESPN the magazine or Popular Mechanics or anything. It's like Cosmopolitan people. I mean, stuff that, you know, I can't pass the time with. Right? I just like flip and throw it away. It's, it's boring. And, and I'm sitting here and maybe my smartphone's a little bit of a lifesaver because I can do, you know, some work there or do some things and communicate with some people. And that's helped out over the last few years. But you know what I'm talking about. This pointless waiting, this, this mindless waiting that is not what David is talking about here. He is not talking about a passive waiting like we do when we're just trying to kill time. This is an active waiting. He's waiting expectantly for the Lord to deliver him. His hope is in the Lord, and he's waiting for him because he knows that his only deliverance that is possible is through God coming through for him. And so if you find yourself, and we all at some level right now, are in this period of time where we're kind of on a holding pattern in a lot of ways. 
What are we doing during the wait? Are we saying, man, I can't wait till this season of life is over? And we're all tempted, me included, to feel that way. We're looking at the calendar like this started like in March, and here we are in August, and it's still going on. And, and from what we hear, you know, it's getting worse. And we're told, man, we shouldn't even be doing this right here today. What are we to do? Well, you know, what, what's going on? And we get impatient, and we want things to hurry up. But God's in control, and David knew, even though in his situation, that it wasn't a fun experience, it was a horrible experience, but he was waiting on God. And then what else does he do? He has an attitude of prayer. And this seems super basic, but it's also very profound that prayer is an expression of worship. Prayer, when you pray, is an incredible expression of worship. Because what is it? It's saying there is something greater than me in this universe. There is something beyond me and I have to look to Him for my strength. I acknowledge God in His existence. I acknowledge God in His power. And I submit to Him and His timing and His will. So true prayer, if you're really praying and you're really seeking God, that in itself is an incredible act of worship. But yet, so many times, we just want to hurry the situation and God is the least of our concerns unless we just want quick deliverance. But if it tends to be duration and time and it's, it's longer than we think it should, what happens? We blame God. We get discouraged. We talked about some of that last week. But David received rescue. Verse 2, he drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. On his timetable he did this. And he set my feet upon a rock and he made my steps secure. We talked about that a great deal last week. We won't belabor that. He was rescued by God. And then the second reason why Christians aren't living a life of worship, we're unwilling to sing. Look at verse 2. We're unwilling to sing. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now, when we use the word song here, many people do think that worship is just about singing. And look, singing is an incredible expression of worship. I don't know how anyone who's awake and alive today could not have worshipped during that time of music this morning. I don't know how that didn't move your heart and begin to move your lips, even if you're as bad a singer as me. All right, Even if you don't, can't carry a tune, there's got to be some expression there, you would think. And Mitch did a great job a few weeks ago talking to us about singing and why singing is important and really laying it down. But David's not specifically talking about singing here in this verse, although I do think if there's a song in our heart, it probably should come out our lips. But he's talking about praise to God that's not stale. It's, it's not something that's yesterday's news that God did. It's something that God was currently doing, is actively doing, and, and something that God was just overwhelming him with, this deliverance, and he has to express that in praise to God. And so David made sure that God received all the praise. And David literally wrote a song, and this last week when the applications was that we sit down and write a prayer or a song to God, I hope you did that. But it's easy for us just to, once we get the victory or the deliverance over a situation, we just move on, we forget what God has done. But it's during those times where God takes us from our pit, from the place where we find ourselves desperate, and all we can do is cry out to Him, and He takes us and He brings us deliverance in that situation, that we learn something incredible about God. If you've ever done the class Experiencing God, in that Henry Blackaby says this, he says, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. You come to know God. And so I, I know more of God and his character and his ways because he delivered me from that situation. And as a result, I'm going to give him the praise. As I recall that I'm going to give him praise for what he's done. And so think about your life. Think about what experiences you've had over the last weeks where God revealed himself to you and has changed your knowledge of him. In verse 3, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We'll talk more about that in a minute at the end. But many will see and fear. Number three reason why Christians aren't living a life of worship. We believe lies over God's truth. We believe lies over God's truth. Look at verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who, do, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. 
Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. God is truth. And we know what God desires and he wants through his revealed word. We call it the word of God because God spoke, it was recorded for us, and this is how we live our lives to know what God's will is for us. We understand his truth, his principles, we learn about his character, and this is how we navigate through the trials of life. And this is not to beat anybody up, but it just constantly amazes me that this is the foundation of what our life of faith is about, yet how little time we invest in actually reading it and being in it and having a relationship with God through His Word. And so I've talked about this again and again. If, you, if you're not in a habit of being in God's Word on a daily basis, you need to figure out how to make that a regular part of your schedule. It's your daily bread. It's your daily food. It's what you need. And what happens is we're tempted to believe the lies of culture when God's Word isn't permeating our minds and our hearts. And so when lies come our way, it seems much more believable because God's word isn't there to fortify us and help us to fight against that. And these lies come at us from a a variety of directions in, in different expressions. Some might say things like, you'll be happier if you do it this way. That's a big one. God said this. I think I know God said that. But I feel like this way will make me happier, so I'm choosing this way. The one from the very beginning we do is, did God really say that? Yeah, did did, did God say that? Is that what God meant when he said that? I mean, we're great at swindling ourselves to believe that what God says isn't actually what God said, and that some way that we have this little caveat, this little, you know, exception clause to what he said, and so we're good to go on what we want to do because God either didn't fulfill his, his promise or he didn't make it clear exactly what his promise was, so therefore... I'm okay to do things the way I want to do them. And we do that all the time. I mean, I meet people, I stand down with them and, and say, you know, tell me about your situation you're in, you're struggling, and they, they begin to list off, uh, after pushing a little bit, a lot of the sins in their lives that they're, unfor- they're, they're not repenting of, they're really not sorry for, and they have no desire to repent of those and turn from them. And I, I'm thinking, how can you trust God's will for things that aren't really clear, that are the gray areas, when you can't accept his will for the black and white areas? You see, we got a problem. We think that we're smarter than God, and it comes from Satan. Did God really say? Or another one, do you really feel blessed living for Jesus rather than living life for yourself? Do you really feel that? Do you really feel blessed? Is your life really that great because you're following Jesus, Satan will say? Or is it really, really all these things that, that you hear promised to you and given through God's word and through preachers and through uh, Bible lessons? Or these things, God, they just don't, they're not working for me. But we're back in the situation where we're thinking that we're smarter than God and the situation that I'm in, I can't possibly worship God because it doesn't feel good. It, it doesn't feel good for this spot. So therefore, I can't trust God because surely if if I was following him, that I would be in a whole different place right now. But the word interesting, a couple things, is blessed. The way we see that word blessed, so many times it's just purely materialistic. We think of blessed as God's given me lots of stuff. And so I'm blessed. And we do that all the time. How are you doing? I'm I'm blessed. Like, it's been a great day. Do we say that when when things are going awful and just like everything that could go wrong goes wrong and somebody says, how are you doing? I'm, I'm blessed. You know, you, you, you should. We should say, you know, in, in spite of everything that's happened today, God's still on his throne, and he's still good, and I'm still blessed. Interesting that the word blessed in Scripture, did you know that nearly every language that translates the Bible, except for English, when they translate the word blessed, they tra- translate it happiness, happy? But translators for the English have struggled with that because one, you know, words are only as valuable as what people think they mean, right? And so they're like, well, it can't just mean happiness. It's got to be something deeper than happiness because happiness isn't always the case. We're not always feeling happy because we're blessed. But it, it really is, it's, it's happiness. It, it's a happiness because we're happy in Christ. And it should come out in our behavior, our character, our attitudes, It's what Paul said. He said, no matter what situation I find myself in, I found contentment in that situation. And that wasn't a miserable, I'm going to complain about my circumstances contentment. 
That was a joy in the Lord, even though he's sitting in a Roman prison. Awful situation, terrible. Foul odors and rats and, and just awful stuff. And he said, I found the strength to be content in whatever situation I'm in. Because God is good. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. The, happy, the happiness Christ gives to his people is a participation of his own happiness. The happiness Christ gives to his people is a participation of his own happiness. It's not dictated by our circumstances. It's a trust in God. It's a dependence on God. And I'm afraid that one thing, and Chip kind of alluded to this, during this whole pandemic and isolation, that many people have wandered away from the Word of God and the authority of Scripture. And we know, those of you who are sitting here today who tried the online thing for a couple months, you know how challenging that was because your kids, you know, they're not sitting still and they're going crazy and you're trying to corral them or just eventually just send them off to another room and thinking, well, let them do their thing, we'll do ours. But you know how hard that was. And I, and I think there's this void in so many people because during this, these months, they're not getting the consistent feeding of God's Word to keep them anchored when life is crazy and when we're living in a time that none of us have probably seen before where uh, we don't know what a lot of times what truth is. We don't know what is being told to us is believable or not. And we're getting all these opinions thrown at us and everybody has something to say on things. And the internet, which you know, is, is a new thing to, for a pandemic, nobody's ever experienced this before, everybody has something to say. And it's oftentimes all different. And if there's any time we need to be anchored to Jesus and to the Word of God, it's during this time. And maybe you think, well, the Bible doesn't give me, I can't find a verse reference that says, you know, whether you know, this, this, you know, this is really as bad out here as I think it is. Or there's, I don't see a verse that tells me which is the best option for me to decide during this time when everybody's telling me their opinion. I don't, I don't see verses that tell me that. I promise you, if you stay anchored in Jesus, doesn't mean you'll always make the right decision, you won't make the best choice, but I promise you this, if you're humbly seeking His will, the purpose that you've been created for, which is bringing glory and worshiping Jesus, that purpose will be fulfilled even as you struggle to know the truth about certain situations that we're in. Does that make sense to you? That, that it, there's a humility about it. Instead of being all arrogant and let me tell you the way it is. Let me tell you how this is working. Let me explain to you the world dynamics at this point. I mean, there's a humility about you. And you says, you know, I'm not sure about everything. I'm sure about a few things. And I'm crystal clear about Jesus died on the cross for us. And regardless of what happens in this world, that I'm his child. And he is for me, not against me. We talked about that last week. And we worship God even through difficulties and in difficult circumstances. And so, while you probably think the world will end if things don't work out the way that you think they should work out, and you think that, you know, come January 2021, if things haven't transpired the way you think, that you don't know what's going to happen. Like, America's over. And God's like, kings rise and fall. I put people into power. Yes, do your job, be responsible, vote your conscience, vote according to the principles of God. But at the end of the day, I've got this. If Daniel could thrive under Nebuchadnezzar, we can thrive for the glory of God regardless of what happens. And so I'm not advocating any certain plan or strategy. All I'm saying is trust Jesus. And whatever situation you find yourself in, be content. Be humble, worship him, point to him, and in that you fulfilled your duty for God to worship him, to glorify him, and you're enjoying him, you're happy about it. Let me ask you this. As you're sitting here, you're one of the ones who have chosen to come out. There's some people who should not be here today because of their health and underlying health issues and, and, and age group they're in possibly. But you probably know people who are discouraged that aren't here. And there's some that are here that you need to reach out to. Maybe you're here and you're in a good spot, but you need to reach out to someone who has become discouraged, very empty. They've been deceived or seduced. And you just need to reach out and not tell them, you know, just ignore that stuff. No, just reach out and say, 
hey, we love you, and we know it's a difficult time, and we're here for you, I'm praying for you, is there anything specific I can pray about at this point? And just keep the conversation open with them. Think of someone. I challenged you a few weeks ago. I'm probably pretty certain that probably the majority of the people in here, you didn't do that. I encourage you, think of one person right now that you can text, call, and encourage this week. One person. If we did that, everybody in the church would nearly be reached who's not here. And so I encourage you to do that. Verse 4. He says, Blessed is the man who makes his trust in the Lord. Verse The second part, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. My paraphrase of that is, don't listen to proud people who think they're smarter than God and attempt to seduce you to believe their lies. Don't buy into that. Trust God. Trust his word. And this is how, as we sang in the song, this is how we fight our battles right here. Verse 5, you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. Let me read that again. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. What is he saying? He's saying God loves you and his thoughts are just great about you. And regardless of the situation you're in, and even though it feels like God isn't there, that his truth, the truth is that he cares and he loves and his deeds and his thoughts toward you are good, not bad. And that's how you fight the battle of lies with truth. It feels terrible, but God, you said this. Satan says, don't believe that. But God says, here's the truth. Trust it. Believe it. Another way of saying what David said here was one, Psalm 139, 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Or to put it in Paul's words in the New Testament, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you think? Pretty amazing, right? I mean, how do you not respond to that truth in worship? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter what comes, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But, but, but you just don't understand how hard things are. You don't understand that it just doesn't work for me. You don't understand, I've tried that, and it just it doesn't do anything for me. Well, first, as I've reminded you often, I have to remind myself every morning that it's not about me, right? I, I'm not the central player in the story. I'm not the main character. I'm not the main actor. It's God's story, and I may be relegated over here to a very small part in that story, but I'm going to glorify God in my little part and praise Him and do all that He's called me to do and if I get three seconds of airtime, or if I get a bigger part than other people, it's all about him because he's the one that decided it. He chose ahead of time the good works for me to do. And so I walk in that truth. I live in that truth. And I praise him because I don't have to be the center. It doesn't have to be about me. And so we worship God. And we know that his love is for us. And at worst case, if, if everything in this life fails and falls apart, we have eternity with God, eternal life. And see, that's where truth matters. Because if you believe that, then you can go through any struggle possible and still have hope. Because Jesus died for your sins, so you didn't have to. Jesus took on the sins and God's wrath, so you could be forgiven. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Number four, reason why Christians aren't living a life of worship. Routines replace heart engagement. Routines replace heart engagement. Now, let me say this. I talk a lot about routines. I believe in routines. I think routines help us to thrive and do the things that are important. And the things that we value, we make part of our daily routine. But the danger is what David says in this passage. He says, in sacrifices and offering, you have not delighted but you have given me 
an open ear. What's he saying? He's like, you're, you're boring this ear, a hole in my head to hear you, to hear what you have to say. He says, burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. God was instructing David here to no longer offer sacrifices. We know in the Old Testament, God commanded sacrifices. At least four different types of sacrifices that this passage refers to in this very section right here that we don't have time to go into. But what is emphasized again and again throughout Scripture is God cares about the heart more than just going through the rote activity, the spiritual activity. God isn't interested in mere just formalism. Throughout Scripture, we find many warnings given to those who follow exactly the prescribed ritual of worship. But God is displeased with them, even in their precision, because their heart isn't there. Their heart is not in it. God finds them disobedient, even though they're very careful to keep that law, to keep that commandment. Why? Because God cares about the heart. And so you can come in here on Sunday and be like, eh, we did good. We came to church. You see how many people? There are only a few there. And we were, we were two of the ones there. High five. Yes, we did our weekly duty, right? We can come in here, and here's one that we all can be guilty of, communion time. I mean, I remember as a kid, we got kids in here today. I remember as a kid, communion time, and I'd be like looking at the lights and like counting things on the ceiling. I'd be like, oh, communion day, oh, that means the service is going to be five to ten minutes longer, and I'm going to have to sit here longer. And I remember those thoughts, but here's the bad thing is, maybe you excuse that a little bit in a small kid, but adults oftentimes are like, oh, you know, communion, uh, we do this all the time, and there's no heart behind it anymore. And see, God isn't pleased. He's not honored when we take the bread, which represents his body broken. We take the cup, which is the, ju- the juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And we just do it flippantly, like, oh, yeah, let's go. See, it's, it's a small difference between doing the activity, which we're encouraged and, and commanded to do, or engaging our heart in the process and actually worshiping in it. See, our mind's attention and our heart's affection come together and worship can happen. You do it mindlessly, there's no worship. Your mind's attention and your heart's affection. So today, as we do communion, I want to encourage you to slow down, take a deep breath, Pray to God and say, God, what sins are prohibiting me to have having good fellowship with you right now? What have I done to turn away from you? God, show me my sin. Convict me of my sin. Give me the strength and the grace to repent of these sins. And then number five, we fear people more than God. We fear people more than we fear God. Before we read that part of the scripture, I want to read this quote by a guy named Ed Welch. I read his book about a year ago called When People Are Big and God is Small. He says, People can expose and humiliate us. They can reject, ridicule, or despise us. They can attack, oppress, or threaten us. These have one thing in common. We see people as more powerful and significant than God. And out of fear that, that is created in us, we give other people the power and right to tell us what to think feel, and do. We are more concerned about looking stupid, a fear of people, than we are about acting sinfully, a fear of God. So think of that as we read this last, these last two verses, verses 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Do you get the picture here that David was much more concerned about what God thought than what other people think? That he wasn't worried, like, well, what will they think if I say Jesus' name? Or what will they think if I speak up for him? Or... What if, they, if I bow my head and pray before my meal? 
David, because he wanted to worship God above everything else, he didn't restrain his voice. He didn't restrain his lips. In fact, if you go back to verse 5, where I skipped over and said I'd come back to, it says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None of them can compare to you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. He said, there's so many great things that you've done. I'm going to tell them, even though I can't tell them all, I'm going to speak what you've done in my life. In a second, we're going to have a time to give people a chance in here to share, if anybody would like to, what God has done in your heart. And maybe you think, wow, this has been the worst season of my life. I don't think I really have anything to share. You have your salvation. You have Jesus. You have the presence of Jesus. You have a church body. God has given us so much. And not just in the great congregation, because it's one thing when we know other Christians are around and a few people speak up and they're like, oh man, I feel much more bold now. But what about in our day-to-day life? in our eating and drinking and living our lives, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Are we willing to speak up for him in those moments? Are we willing to share, kind of step out and put that fear aside and say, God, I don't want to be afraid of what people think. I want to fear you. I don't want to fear others. So three things real quick, head, heart, and hands. Head, know you were created to worship God. No, you were created to worship God. That's what you need to make sure sticks with you here today. Your purpose in life is to worship God. That's the definitive thing that Scripture gives us, to glorify God, to worship God, and enjoy Him. The second one, in a heart. Believe that God's grace can rescue you from you. And then today, just engage your mind and your heart, both in worship when we take communion. Make the effort mentally to engage in the process. Ask God to move your heart, to give you the grace to see fresh and anew the gospel, the cross. And then hands, tell someone why Jesus is so amazing this week. Tell someone why Jesus is so amazing. It may look very small, like just a a very casual conversation. You say, you know, I love Jesus, or Jesus is great. Or it could be something much more in-depth that somebody at work, if you've had that conversation with, and really you've, they may be ready for an in-depth conversation about salvation, about the gospel. I don't know where the Holy Spirit's going to lead you, but I do know this, that he has led us to declare Jesus, no matter what situation that we're in. So I ask Elizabeth Whaley to kind of start us off today, and, and uh, she's, she's had a lot to say I'm going to get a Clorox wipe to wipe that microphone off since Chip used it earlier, right? Um, She's had a lot to say, and I'm going to walk back here, and she's just going to share, because I've tried to get her up here during the interview times, and she she was just a little nervous about it, but today she's like, "I I got it, I'm ready to go. So, all right, take it away. I'll hold the mic for you. Hey, everybody. Well, like David, God brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. It was a deep, dark, lonely pit, and I'm forever grateful that God allowed me to hit the bottom of it hard enough to completely shatter me. At the bottom of that pit was a gift, the gift of desperation, where pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency, self-centeredness, and all the things of the world that I had sought to satisfy my soul completely and utterly failed me. Thank you, Lord. There was no human being or circumstance that could bring me out, only God. And like David, I cried out, and God heard me. I was the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal. 
Jesus tells us how the father of the prodigal reacts in Luke 15, 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's what I received as he brought me out of the pit of darkness and into his beautiful light. Thank you, Lord Jesus. David says in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I'm thankful that God began to graciously show me the depth of my sin, and he gave me a repentant heart. That was the beginning of God putting a new song in my mouth, a song of praise for his compassion, forgiveness, love, and new life in Jesus. And then I get to sing it with others, and it just doesn't get any better than that. And one more praise in the context of the pit. Don and I have been fortunate enough to receive the love and support of our Grace family during one of the scariest times of our lives. We had a health scare last year, and our church family surrounded us with love and support that kept us from falling into a pit of despair. As we walked through this difficult time, we witnessed the body of Christ in action, from being anointed with oil and prayed over by the elders, to visits, phone calls, cards, words of encouragement, and lots of prayers. I praise God for our church family, and I'm grateful today that I have the opportunity to say thank you to all of you for being the hands and feet of Jesus to us. Thank you so much for sharing that. Wow. I know everyone didn't get a chance to plan out. Anybody else would like to just share? Um, just raise your hand there, and I'll walk the mic over to you. Anyone? Um, John, I think uh, I can summarize mine in um, uh, the testimony of God's goodness and the thankfulness that I have for the work that he is doing, not only in my life, but all the lives that are around me uh, that I see uh, here today. And I believe it's in Philippians 1.20. And this became kind of my life verse whenever I was 16 years old, which is, uh, for I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Uh, before that became my life verse, that was not my anthem. It was the exact opposite. It was, how do I live for myself? It was not, how do I glorify the Lord in my life or by death? It was about, how can I stave off death and live the life that I want to live? And so I'm so thankful that um, that has become my theme because the Lord sought me. The way he chose to uh, seek after me was through his word being preached and lived out faithfully by the members of the body of Christ. And so as I look around me in this room this morning, I think about that, that same um, message is being preached out, and I just give thanks for that, that we have so many believers faithfully uh, preaching that same message through their words and through their life. Some, some of you may not know that Brenna is a cancer survivor, and uh, more of a story is incredible for sure. Anybody else like to just say, I have something to share for the in front of the great congregation. I have something God is doing in, in my life. Yvette. Thank you very much, John. Um, 
You know, when you ask the question in front um, with the kids and says, how do you pretend to be a Christian? And I just want to share something. You know, for so long time, I was thinking that I was safe because, you know, I was thinking, you know, being a Christian is just about saying, you know, I'm a sub Jesus Christ. You know, I'm reading my Bible once in a while. And then um, God confronted me, and I realized that I know, you know, John 3, 16. You know, everybody knows that verse. But everything was on my head, in my mind. And I can, you know, talk to people about Jesus because, you know, oh, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. But um, that never comes to my heart. And I realized at some point in my life that that was not true. God confronted me. I said, you know, you are not a Christian. You're just pretending to be a Christian. You know, hallelujah. You know, hosanna. You know, so many songs. You know, so many Bible verses. But you don't have a real Christian life. So you need to be prepared. I'm coming soon. And I know that I'm so convinced that Jesus Christ is coming. And I'm telling you this because, you know, probably, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many we are in here. But probably you are in that place when I were before. And I just want to make sure that you, that, you know, Jesus is calling us every day. And as you say, you know, to having, um, you know, a routine in reading your Bible, reading the Bible and, you know, have a deep relationship with Christ. That is really necessary because if not, if you do not doing that, so you need to think about that. If I'm really a Christian, you know, and I just want to say that because I think it's really important, you know. I was feeling really convinced in my life that I was safe, but I was not. And I'm so grateful that I praise God for that reason. Thank you, Beth. Maybe one or two more. This didn't have to be anything profound, just I need to give God the praise for this. We were we were praying a lot, also for the house to for us to where we are moving. And um, I told God, I guess uh, I gotta depend on you. So we just tell him what do we want. He gave us more than we were thinking. So we are really thankful for that. Really, really, yeah. We're gonna really miss these guys. They're moving away for a year to Kentucky for his job. Well, unless somebody just really feels the urge and raise your hand nice and high, and you're not ashamed, you're ready to, to share them, and we're going to move on to communion. But I, if you're saying, I know there's probably somebody like, oh, I really want to say something. All right, there you go, Janet. Well, this one's not really about me, but I believe most people in here know about my niece, Mariah, who walked through cancer from the time she was 12 until she was 21. And the last year of her journey, was extremely difficult to say the least. But no matter who ran into her, she always had a smile on her face and something wonderful to say. She walked out the last year of her life totally and completely in Christ. So much so that at the last few weeks of her life when she was having continuous um, strokes because she couldn't get enough oxygen, even then, that didn't stop her smile. And our whole family had finally reached a point where we all accepted that it was time. And we all asked God, either heal her or take her, please. And the day that she died, her mother sang her into Jesus' arms. She held her hand. She sang, it is well with my soul. And on the last note, Mariah ran. She didn't walk. Because many of us in our family got that vision, and I believe it. She ran into Jesus' arms, and we all received the peace from that. Instead of all of us being devastated by her dying, devastated because she wasn't healed on this side, every one of us in unison bowed down and said, thank you. And I can attest to that because during the memorial service, we had a chance to talk to each other about how it affected us, and even her parents said, yes, while we are sad that she is gone, we were very thankful that God took her so peacefully and that each one got individual visions. One had a vision of her dancing. 
which Mariah loved to do. She loved dancing. She was on the dance team in school. Other uh, one said, you know, I got the same vision of her arms open wide, running into the arms of Jesus. Another one, her mother said, I had a picture of her throwing away this old body that could not contain her spirit any longer because it was so bubbly. And she was happy to be gone from that tent. Um, and this is what sustains us. And we thank everybody for the prayers. Um, her going was not sad. It was not a bad thing. It was a joyous thing. And we know as believers that we will see her again. So we truly do not mourn as those who don't know Christ. Thank you, Janet. That makes me think of Hebrews where the writer says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and on the finish line, coming to the finish line, and Mariah just looking at Jesus and running right into his arms. Let's pray and move to communion time. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, I know there may be some people here today who are skeptical and think that this is all just a crutch to get us through life, but God, Jesus is so much more than a crutch. He's, he's our stretcher because we can't do anything without him, and we fully and completely trust Jesus and Jesus alone for any hope we have in this life and in death. And God, I pray that you will help us to see that we've been called to worship you with everything about us. And God, when Satan puts those doubts in our minds and thinks, tells us we can't do this or it's too hard or it's too much commitment, God, may we be in your word and your word combat the lies that Satan throws at us. And God, today as we think about the cross and we think about the sacrifice that you experienced on our behalf, we know that we can do all things through you because you give us strength and you went through what you did so that we can live victorious and you didn't give us this life and leave it us on our own to figure it out but you gave us your holy spirit to give us the power and the authority to live life in a way of worship to you each and every moment in jesus name just take a few minutes just to reflect and to allow your mind and your heart to come together as we take communion <clears throat>